Chapter Twenty Four of A Mind That Found Itself by Clifford Whittingham Beers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Read by Tom Daly. Chapter Twenty Four. A few days before Christmas, my most galling deprivation was at last removed. That is, my clothes were restored. These I treated with great respect. Not so much as a threat did I destroy. Clothes, as is known, have a sobering and civilizing effect, and from the moment I was again provided with presentable outer garments, my conduct rapidly improved. The assistant physician with whom I had been on such variable terms of friendship and enmity even took me for a sleigh-ride. With this improvement came other privileges, or rather, the granting of my rights. Late in December, I was permitted to send letters to my conservator. Though some of my blood-curdling letters were confiscated, a few detailing my experiences were forwarded. The account of my sufferings naturally distressed my conservator, but, as he said when he next visited me, what could I have done to help you? If the men in this state whose business it is to run these institutions cannot manage you, I am at a loss to know what to do. True, he could have done little or nothing, for he did not then know the ins and outs of the baffling situation into which the ties of blood had drawn him. About the middle of January, the doctor in charge of my case went for a two-weeks vacation. During his absence, an older member of the staff took charge of the violent ward a man of wider experience and more liberal ideas than his predecessor he at once granted me several real privileges one day he permitted me to pay a brief visit to the best ward the one from which i had been transferred two months earlier i thus was able again to mingle with many seemingly normal men and though i enjoyed this privilege upon but one occasion and then only for a few hours it gave me intense satisfaction. Altogether, the last six weeks of the fourteen during which I was confined in the violent ward were comfortable and relatively happy. I was no longer subjected to physical abuse, though this exemption was largely due to my own skill in avoiding trouble. I was no longer cold and hungry. I was allowed a fair amount of outdoor exercise, which, after my close confinement, proved to be a delightful shock. But above all, I was again given an adequate supply of stationery and drawing materials, which became as tinder under the focused rays of my artistic eagerness. My mechanical investigations were gradually set aside. Art and literature again held sway. Except when out of doors taking my allotted exercise, I remained in my room reading, writing, or drawing. This room of mine soon became a mecca for the most irresponsible and loquacious characters in the ward, but I soon schooled myself to shut my ears to the incoherent prattle of my unwelcome visitors. Occasionally, some of them would become obstreperous, perhaps because of my lordly order to leave the room. Often did they threaten to throttle me, but I ignored the threats, and they were never carried out. Nor was I afraid that they would be. Invariably, I induced them to obey. The drawings I produced at this time were crude. 
For the most part, they consisted of copies of illustrations which I had cut from magazines that had miraculously found their way into the violent ward. The heads of men and women interested me most, for I had decided to take up portraiture. At first, I was content to draw in black and white, but I soon procured some colors, and from that time on devoted my attention to mastering pastel. In the world of letters I had made little progress. My compositions were, for the most part, epistles addressed to relatives and friends, and to those in authority at the hospital. Frequently the letters addressed to the doctors were set in sets of three, this to save time, for I was very busy. The first letter of such a series would contain my request, couched in friendly and polite terms. To this I would add a postscript, worded about as follows. If, after reading this letter, you feel inclined to refuse my request, please read letter number two. Letter number two would be severely formal, a business-like repetition of the request made in letter number one. Again, a postscript would advise the reader to consult letter number three if the reading of number two had failed to move him. Letter number three was invariably a brief philippic in which I would consign the unaccommodating doctor to oblivion. In this way, I expended part of my prodigious supply of feeling and energy. But I had also another way of reducing my creative pressure. Occasionally, from sheer excess of emotion, I would burst into verse of a quality not to be doubted. Of that quality the reader shall judge, for I am going to quote a creation written under circumstances which, to say the least, were adverse. Before writing these lines I had never attempted verse in my life, barring intentional inane doggerel. And as I now judge these lines, it is probably true that even yet I have never written a poem. Nevertheless, my involuntary, almost automatic outburst is at least suggestive of the fervor that was in me. These fourteen lines were written within thirty minutes of the time I first conceived the idea, and I present them substantially as they first took form. From a psychological standpoint, at least, I am told, they are not without interest. Light. Man's darkest hour is the hour before he's born. Another is the hour just before the dawn. From darkness unto life and light he leaps. To life but once, to light as oft as God wills he should. Tis God's own secret why some live long and others early die, for life depends on light, and light on God, who hath given to man the perfect knowledge that grim despair and sorrow end in light and life everlasting, in realms where darkest darkness becomes light but not the light man knows, which only is light because God told man so. These verses, which breathe religion, were written in an environment which was anything but religious, with curses of wardmates ringing in my ears, some subconscious part of me seemed to force me to write at its dictation. I was far from being in a pious frame of mind myself, and the quality of my thoughts surprised me then, as it does now. End of chapter 24